Hi, it's Jamie. And I'm Portia. And we are Just Two Pearls. Join us for Adventures in Pearls. So our reflection today comes from Bishop Yvette Lunder. She is the presiding bishop of the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, which is headquartered in Oakland, California. And she writes, Oppressive religion or a theology that welcomes those who fit a normative definition of the dominant culture while excluding those who do not is a ball and chain on the heart of the message of Jesus. Jesus was a scandal, a political subversive who spoke truth to power and liberty to those in bondage. Any theology that suggests that God receives some and rejects others is not reflective of the ministry of Jesus Christ. That ends the reading. Awesome. Hashtag we love Bishop Yvette Flunder and everything she does. And that's a great, great setup for what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get there, Jamie, I've got an adventure I want to share. We both have left, you know, Connecticut and the whole New England region. We know we've been talking about that a little bit, um, you know, as we both transition. But before I left, right, Jamie, uh, my mom and my sister and myself, we had a girls' day. And we hadn't done a girls' day in a long time, actually. Even though we talked to each other on a three-way call, like, almost every other day, but we hadn't actually gotten together, the three of us, in a long time. And so um, I don't know if I've ever shared on the show, but my sister and I, we have a 10-year gap between us. So I'm 27, my sister's 37, and we live very um, busy lives and just separate lives, considering that we both live in two different places. But, you know, we're really, really close. And so, and we're also very close to our mom. And so before the summer ended, we decided to take a trip to the Big E. Actually, it was the first weekend of fall, but it felt like summer because it was 90 degrees, Jamie. It was 90 degrees. So, what? y'all, <laughs> exactly. It was 90 degrees, peeling off clothes, so hot. It was the worst day to go. But let me tell you, we had such a ball. It was worth it. And so it was worth us getting together, taking time out of our schedules just to have a girl's day. We got up really early, um, you know, got some bagels to go. And when we got there, uh, the first thing we did was, you know, search for parking. And this is not the petty moment, but trying to find parking at the Big E. If you're ever in the Connecticut, New England region, and you try and go to the Big E, y'all get there really early and, you know, be mindful about parking. But anyway, I decided to mention that. But we had such a great time. We ate, Jamie, I had the first time a deep fried Oreo with powdered sugar, and it was banging. It was not vegan, but guess what? It didn't matter. It was delicious. I don't know how nutritious, but it was definitely delicious, blessed and highly flavored. Um, and then I had a fried pickle. Um, we also had some frozen lemonade. This was an eating trip. So it was a foodie's dream. Um, we had a turkey leg, you know, like, so, you know, that's definitely a vegan. <laughs> but, you know, it was a, I had that smoked turkey leg. Uh, it was like a like a like a Fred Flintstone looking uh, turkey leg. It was oh, it was so good. It was juicy, y'all. So I'd never been to like a state fair before, but so this was like my first time to the Big E in like all my life. But we saw the little animals and the petting zoo. We saw the people um, 
you know, having their, their crafts and their goods on display as it's uh, the big E stands for the, the big exposition. And so people had, you know, their things on display. Um, you know, their, their crafts, their goods, you know, whether, whatever they make, right, they were selling. And so it was really cool. Um, but it also reeked of New England and, you know, rich white money, um, mm-hmm. too. So there was that. And so, you know, my, my bells and whistles were ringing the whole time. I was like, hmm, I wondered, was this, you, was this ground, this fairground, was this an old slave auction block? So, you know, I had, like, those questions in my head. Anytime, right. like, I see, like, a state ground or, like, a place that's, like, a green area, you know, like they call it the green. I wonder, I'm like, was this an auction? Was this a place where, like, they were marketing and having, like, people, like, black people on display? So, like, all of that was going on in my head, right, as I'm having this good time. I'm like, hmm. So I I was interested in just um, looking up some more information about the Big E. I didn't really see too much um, about um, the participation of, you know, African Americans and black people and slaves of the day. Um, but I did find out that during the time of World War One and World War Two, there was no state fair. So during the times of war, um, there, there, those fairs didn't happen. But um, I was very curious to knowing the history. But um, that information aside, I had a great time with my mom, with my sister. Like I said, it was a foodie dream. Um, I didn't get on any rides, but I saw some huge horses. Um, and now I want to be an equestrian. Um, you know, I, I want to, you know, ride horses in my mind. But it was a great time. So I just wanted to share that about the Big E. You know, it was a very New England thing to do. Um, would I do it again? Sure. Um, when I have little ones, you know, my sister has little ones, sure. Um, it was fun. It was great. Um, I encourage everyone, you know, take a girl's trip, whether it be your mom or your sister or whether it's your friends, you know, make it happen. And so a lot of people from my church were also there. So it was a good time. So it wasn't just my mom and my sister and I. We also saw people from the church. <laughs> so that was fun, too. So that's my adventure, Jamie. So um, you want to talk about what's going on on the show today? We've got a really great guest for y'all. Yes, I do want to talk about what's going on on our show, but I also need to respond to what you said. (laughs) 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 Um, Yes. Okay, well, yes for girls' trips, and especially girls' trips with mom. And I I don't have a sister. But, like, girls, if you have a mother in your life, and, like, all of us are so busy as adults, um, you know, I talk to my mom, like, every day. But it's so much different than, like, the person-to-person contact, especially with, um, I think the adult relationships we have with our mothers are so much different than the childhood relationships we have with our mothers. Like, so much oh, those are the facts. Yeah, and that's true. I used to, like, relate to them, like, as an adult and to kind of hear about, like, even things that they were doing at our age um, and, uh, you know, how that might kind of, you know, family history does impact the woman or man who you are as an adult. So knowing what your mother and father were doing um, is, like, super important. But also it's so funny to think about the ways that we think because, you know, like like I said, I mean, I talk to my mother on the phone, but I don't see her every day. And so it's so funny when we get together and it's like, oh, my gosh, that's why I'm doing that. Like, there will be certain things that I do that I'm like, why am I doing that? That's so, like, unusual. And then I'll see, like, especially with both my parents, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, some of the stuff they do, it's like, okay, it's because I'm the cross between these two things that I do these, I have these bizarre, bizarre traits. It's really funny. Um, so yes, to girl's trip with mom and sister. But also, speaking of not being vegan, um, I'm a pescatarian, y'all. I'm not vegan. At, like, I'm not even going to try. 
Um, but it was so funny, Portia. I woke up one morning and I realized, like, I had been dreaming about, like, eating fried chicken. (laughs) (laughs) And it was good in my dream. Like, I, I remember, like, the sensation of, like, biting into it, you know, the skin. And there's something about fried food which just, you know, because it just creates all these multiple layers and then, like, the crunch and then the juiciness underneath. So I woke up kind of nervous. I was like, did I eat some fried chicken yesterday? You know, because sometimes, you know, you go places and they stick meat in stuff that you don't think there's meat in, and then you're like, I think I was just eating, like, meat. Um, so I was trying to figure out, like, did someone eat chicken yesterday or something? Um, but, no, I was just dreaming about fried chicken. So, yeah, so I think even if you're on that vegan, pescatarian, vegetarian lane, um, you know, sometimes the meat still does call. You know, what can you do? <laughs> Girl, that turkey leg was calling, okay? So and I, I was very sick. Now, I will say this. When you don't eat meat for a while, it, your body processes things differently. So I was very sick um, on a Sunday, uh, you know, Saturday night into Sunday. I was a little sick. But um, it was worth it because <laughs> it tasted good. <laughs> So it, it was yeah, worth it. <laughs> that is something to think about. Like if you're not eating, used to eating like dairy or if you're not used to eating meat, like your body just doesn't know what to do with it. But it's also good, um, even if you don't want to go full vegetarian, pescatarian, um, or vegan, it's also good just to give your body temporary breaks. Like if you do eat meat and cheese, it's good to give your body temporary breaks from that um, just so you can kind of recalibrate. But that's a whole separate conversation. So, y'all, we are so excited. We two pearls, we're so excited. We the pearls um, of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> we the pearls. Of these here United States, okay? <laughs> of the Obama United States. <laughs> of the Obama United States. The, the pearls in the post-Obama era, okay? You can catch these pearls, Donald Trump. Let me stop. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, we're so silly. Um, so anyway, so Pearls, we are so excited um, because we have this guest um, who I'm sure some of you have probably seen, um, especially on Instagram. Uh, she's pretty popular on Instagram, um, and she'll talk to us a little bit more about that um, while we're listening to her today. But our guest today is Sydney Magruder Washington. She is a professional ballerina, um, but she's also known as a blogger. She blogs about um, her life as a professional dancer but also just her life living in New York City. Um, she blogs about mental health, and we just talked about mental health a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we have Sydney on the show today um, specifically to talk about um, her relationship and the way that heteronormativity impacts her life and really all of our lives, everybody. Um, so we are starting a series, which is going to last from now until about mid-November. And we're going to be talking specifically about relationships. But we don't want to kind of rehash the same old conversation, um, kind of similar to what we had last season about relationships, which, in which we talked a lot about what it's like to be an unmarried black Christian woman in America. And that's an important conversation, um, but we had it last season, so you all can listen back. This season, we kind of want to progress the conversation um, and talk about relationships in a few key ways. Um, first of all, this week with Sydney, we want to talk about relationships specifically the way that heteronormativity impacts us. Um, and Sydney is a black woman in America um, who is wed to another black woman in America. So she's going to talk to us a little bit about that relationship on this episode. And then next, um, in two weeks, we're going to be in conversation with Nicole Azan, who is a um, relationship expert. Um, also a black woman, also incredible. And so we'll talk more about her when we actually air that episode. 
And then finally, we're going to conclude with a conversation um, that's all about sisterhood um, and about same-gender friendship. So this one is about same-gender romantic love, and the episode in a few weeks is going to be about same-gender um, agape friendship love, um, which is something that sometimes gets neglected because in our society we focus so much on romantic relationships as being the highest form of relationship. And I think as Portia pointed out through her story about her mom and her sister and the relationship they have with each other, um, as Portia and I have in friendship with each other, there are other types of relationships that sustain us and that give us life. And so we really need to know how to cultivate not only romantic relationships, those are very important, and we should know how to cultivate those and we should value those. But we also have to know how to cultivate our non-romantic relationships, of which every relationship except for the person who we are in a romantic relationship with all of those relationships matter too. And so we're going to also talk about how to cultivate those relationships. So without further ado, let's hear from Ms. Sydney Magruder, Washington. Sydney, we're so glad that you're able to join us. And so, you know, let's just jump right in. Sydney, if you don't mind, could you just give us a little background about, you know, your love story? Because, you know, we all love a good love story, you know, hashtag black love of all forms. And so we just really <laughs> want to hear about your love story, you know? <laughs> So uh, I'm good with this story because it's my favorite story to tell. Um, I, was, I was in my last year of college, and I was, I was single and had been single for a while at that point, and I had just kind of, you know, surrendered that to the Lord and had, and had a minute where I was like, you know what, I have, I have so many other things to get done. I have, you know, I have to finish school, but school is terrible like life's not that great right now. So I call my parents one weekend and I'm like, I would really like to come home for the weekend. And they're like, ah, maybe you shouldn't, you know, because if you, if you come home, you may not leave. And we, we really want you to finish school. And so I was like, and they gave me the option of instead spending the weekend with my brother in DC, which is where we're from. Um, but my parents live in a different state now. And so I went to DC that weekend with the intention of hanging out with my brother and, you know, hanging out with my sister-in-law, his wife, who is one of my best friends. I just adore her. Um, and I, at the time, was working for a magazine by the name of Elixir, which is now, which has since shut down. It was a magazine for queer women of color. And my boss was living in D.C. at the time, and she, we met up, and we had never met in person before. So we meet up, and she says to me, do you want to come to this fundraiser with me? And I'm like, fundraiser sounds kind of boring. I'll be the youngest person there by 10 years. And then she says to me, it's at my ex-girlfriend's house. And I go, say no more. I will be your wing woman because this could get real awkward real fast. And, you know, you do things for friends. So <laughs> I accompany her to this function. And I was correct. I was the youngest person in the room by, by a little bit. But Every, everyone else in the room, for the first time in a long time, everyone else in the room was black and gay, like me. And I was like, this is fun. I've never, I've never experienced this before. I am definitely the youngest person here. But hey, it's just nice to be in, in you know, like company. And so I'm, I'm awkwarding my way around the room, as I usually do. And I catch sight of this head full of waist-long dreadlocks. And I'm like, okay, I'm interested. Um, and I'm like, if she turns around and she's cute, I should probably say something. She turned around and she was cute. And I was like, crap, what do I do? Um, <laughs> so I go to my boss and I'm like, help, she's cute. I'm awkward. I, please help me do the thing. Um, long story, very, very long story, very short. Um, my now wife was sneaky and intrepid enough to get my number. And she texted me from across the room for the rest of the night. And at the end of the night, she was like, well, would you like to go get ice cream? 
or pie with me. And I was like, I have to go back to my brother's house because if I don't come back, he'll come looking for me and then he'll kill both of us. Uh, my brothers are very protective of me. And she was like, well, can I call you sometime? And I was like, yeah, I'm in school in New York. I don't know if you're ever there, but, you know, just call me sometime. And so call me, she did, every night for two weeks. Um, and we'd be on the phone for hours talking about everything, our, our families, our faith, what we like to do in our spare time, books, movies, music, you name it. I can't, I, now looking back on so many of the things we talked about, it's good that we got those out of the way first things first. Um, after a couple weeks, she was like, hey, I would really like to come visit you uh, at school. And the timing worked out that that was, supposed to, that was family weekend and my parents weren't going to come up. And so she came to visit me, and that was four years ago in October, four years ago in November. Oh. And she asked me to marry her Christmas 2015, and then we got married three months ago yesterday. Wow. Congratulations. Wow. Thanks. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And uh, as you pointed out, this is a, or as Portia pointed out, this is a black love story. And oh, so absolutely. Yeah. There's a couple different like levels on which we want to talk about this relationship. First of all, in the black community, where we still have so much trouble um, talking about sexuality, period, but especially talking about sexuality when it um, diverges from heteronormativity. So as a black person, how have you been received both in your family and in black communities in which you found yourself? Um, so my family is the lowest hurdle I've ever had to jump. They, from, from the beginning, they were just like, hey, you do you. Just make sure you keep God first and, like, don't let anything get in the way of your, your relationship with God and your dream. And so when I told my parents I was gay, they were like, uh, okay, would you like dinner? Like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> like it, was not, it wasn't a huge thing. My siblings were all pretty good. My, one of my sisters took, took a minute to come around, but now she, I think, likes my wife better than she likes me. So we've, we've, we've come a long way on that one. And it wasn't ever uh, – a disapproval thing. It was a worry for me thing. And I'm also, I think it's helpful that I'm not the first gay person in my family. I have a gay aunt who was beloved by our entire family who uh, passed away some time ago. But I think that they were, I mean, everybody was used to it by now. So it didn't make a big splash in my family. And I went, I have a unique experience because when I came out as gay, I was living in a predominantly white situation because I went to a predominantly white undergraduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of my friends were like, yeah, this is, this is fine. This is normal. Like this, we're, half of us are gay anyway, so it's, it's all good. So I really, really was not involved in a black community of any sort at that point in my life, which, which was awful. And, you know, looking back, I realized I was lonely for a lot of reasons, and that was one of them. As, I got, as we got older, as our relationship got more serious, and we, were, we moved to Harlem, we moved, we moved to New York City, we moved to Harlem, We'd walk around holding hands, and some people are weird, but most we really do fly under the radar in comparison with a lot of other couples, I feel. I have never, I've never felt direct animosity from the black people around me. There have been weird looks and weird stares, but I'm one of those people that it's like, unless you say something, we don't really have a problem. But the minute you open your mouth, you know, it's going down. Um, but I, we haven't really faced a whole lot of serious animosity in that regard. So one thing you mentioned with me as you were talking when you said how um, when you came out to your parents, um, specifically how they shared with you, you know, keeping God first and, you know, following your dreams, how that was, 
you know, kind of like their, their, their pearl of wisdom to you, like, and their hope for you. And so could you kind of talk about a little bit more about just, like, your relationship to God and the church and also being in the same gender-loving relationship as a Christian? Uh, sure. So my, I was, I'm definitely one of those kids that was raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and I grew up in church from an early age. And I grew up in a pretty conservative church, but my parents are very liberal. Growing mm. up, I was never forced to wear skirts. I was never forced to do only girly things. Like, of course, I love to play dolls. I'm very, I'm, if you see me in person, you'll, you'll see I'm very, very feminine. I love to play dolls. I love to do girly things like dress up. But my parents also bought me, like, a chemistry set, you know, like things like that. Um, right. That a lot of other girls in my church just weren't the same way. So I was, all, I was always different in that way. But I grew up in a home where, you know, at least the daily prayer and daily Bible reading were encouraged, not necessarily expected, but encouraged. And I think that formed a strong foundation in me in terms of a personal responsibility towards faith and something that, something that I talked with my parents openly about from a young age. I think a lot of, like, a lot, I remember having hours-long conversations with my parents about God from, from a really young age. I was, I'm also, it should be noted that I'm the baby of the family by 20 years, and so I was, an only, I was basically an only child by the time I came along. So my parents have a lot more time to sit down and, like, have super long conversations with me. And I was born late in their lives, too, so... They have they had kind of been around and had more to tell me, but like my mom is my mom is definitely like a Bible scholar, but she's a very spiritual, energetic person, and she applies she applies the the Word of God as to her life as not as needed. The word I'm looking for I think is holistically, and that has always been my example. And mm-hmm. I think as she's gotten older, she's moved away from some of the conservatism she ingrained herself in when she was younger. And she, you know, has really opened her mind to a lot of other things, a lot of, of the broadness of the gospel, the broadness of God's word and of Christianity itself. And she passed that on to me for sure. So I, I for a while, I did walk away from God because I thought I couldn't be gay and be a Christian. And I was, I was upset. I was very upset. I was a teenager and I... I studied Islam, I studied Judaism for several years at a time, both, before I finally, 19 or 20, I guess, right before I met my wife, was like, you know what, I think I was right the whole time about Jesus being the answer. You know, there is no other, there, there is no other Savior. And I'm grateful for that time that I spent exploring these other Abrahamic faiths because I have so much more respect for both, for people of both of those faiths and so much more investment in their well-being as a citizen now also. But now I'm definitely the person who I try to get around to reading my Bible every day. I was really good for like six months and then we got married and then I slept for like a week. (laughs) It didn't happen. But I try, I try to be a living reminder of the gospel, not only to myself, but to those who encounter me. And not in the way that I want to be high and mighty or I want to be holier than thou. I, you know, anytime somebody walks in my house, I feed them. If somebody needs to talk to me, I'll drop what I'm doing to speak to them. If, you know, if there's an opportunity for me to be petty and I can't and, and, and I can take it, I try not to. Um, little things like that is where, I, is, or where I believe Jesus lives. And I try to govern my life by those principles, just, you know, integrity of character in all things, big and small. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that sticks with me on a daily basis as I, you know, try to reflect a savior in my daily activities. Great. And it sounds like that 
kind of the best that any of us can do, just to try right. every day to walk closely with God. So I think that's, that's great, Sydney. Um, but I want to direct folks over to your wonderful website and blog, which is called BlackSwanDiaries.com. And you wrote a three-part series after your wedding about pretty much about your wedding day and the um, beautiful experience you had that day. And I want to read a little bit of your second post to our listeners, and I'd like to hear you expound on it a little bit, if that's okay. Go for um, it. Part in um, the second part of Sydney's blog post, she writes about walking down the aisle and uh, an experience that I also have, which is having poor eyesight even with contacts. I have that too. <laughs> and about no far. <laughs> I have that exact same experience. It's awful. Um, I'll walk up to people, and I'm like, I didn't know who you were until you were, like, right in front of me, so I apologize exactly. for not speaking so to you. so embarrassing every time. <laughs> so anyway, you write that you are, it was, it was not until I was quite close to the end of the aisle that my favorite face grew clearer and sharper with each step. In that very moment, I heard God say to me, girl, didn't I tell you I would come through for you? Perhaps our <laughs> almighty father was not so colloquial but I certainly could have broken into a full-on, old-fashioned Pentecostal church shout right then and there. As I caught sight of my bride, a movie montage of our future fell briefly into focus. Right then, I saw us five years from now, cradling a bundled baby walking Watson through Central Park. Then 10 years, more children and more dashes, and a messy house full of laughter and tiny people shouting, Mommy, Mama, come and look. Fifteen years, twenty, her locks so gray, our kids are taller than us. I begin to favor glasses over contact lenses. She, be, she somehow brings the fanny pack back into style. I, I heard about pregnancies. <laughs> we grow older, move to the country, have grandchildren. Onward and onward. You're planning your future together in your mind. Um, and I think that's so beautiful because I think it's so um, – I just think it's so beautiful to, you know, with any partner, regardless of gender, to see that future. Um, but when you think about, you know, now that you are a little further into your marriage, when you think about your future, what brings you joy in your relationship? Right now, I think it's, it's the little things. We, I think, are finally kind of recovered from all the craziness at this point. And it's the little things bring me joy now, just hearing her, hearing her key in the lock when she comes home from work or having her wake me up in the morning if I oversleep or making her dinner or just spending time. We, you know, we are both giant nerds, both in profession and in leisure, um, you know, watching television or reading together. It's those little things, those quiet moments that bring me a lot of joy. Now her presence just brings me joy. Like she, she is an automatic smile to me. And I, and even in those little moments, I still see that future because it won't always be quiet. You know, hopefully the Lord will bless us with children. And so it will be, there will be years of loud (laughs) to go with these current years of quiet. So I just try to be grateful in every moment that we have what we have and um, this blessed life that we do have together. So it doesn't take a lot nowadays for me to be joyful in and about what we've got going on here. Beautiful. Wow. I think I'm just more like in awe. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, it's just like, how do I describe it? It's like when you know people are like in love and you can just like feel it and it's just like, it just leaves you speechless. Like, I'm having that moment, like, in our conversation, just dialoguing with you. It's just like, you can just 
feel the excitement. Like I can just, even if we're on the phone, I can just imagine like your face just like illuminating with like joy and just like excitement and just passion. And I think that's something that is contagious, you know. And so I am just so excited um, by by just all that you're sharing. Like, it's just, it's making me excited with you. Um, and it just feels like a, a celebration that, that's never meant to end. Um, if you could share just even some more, um, Sydney, a little bit about heteronormativity and how you define that and what that means and how we can combat that, you know, because it's not just, you know, to, like just like little things. Like, we can just say, oh, you know, well, we accept same gender loving relationships. No, it's more than that, right? It's about tearing down systemic issues in our communities. So if you can just like say some more about that, you know, please do because this is like this is rich. <laughs> I think we something that just angers me on a daily basis is the fact that we want like we as a as a broad Christian community, we just ignore queer people. Come on like, now, say it's, it. It's like we don't exist. It's mm-hmm. like, are we on another planet? Do you think we're aliens? And, like, something that really, something that has been on my heart for a long time is just, like, what about the queer youth in your church? Like, yes. like you're spending a lot of time <laughs> preaching to the straight youth about what you expect from them, you know, sexual morality, ethics, and all that. That's fantastic, but you're not telling the queer youth that and then want to get mad when you see what you call a gay lifestyle, which is the dumbest thing right. I've ever heard. On, right. on quote unquote display. It's like, okay, how about we treat how about how about revolutionary idea here, how about we treat the queer youth like the straight youth and we yeah. discuss you know, we discuss relationships and you know and godly relationships and waiting and sexual ethics and sexual morals to all the kids for all the things in all mm-hmm. the sexualities. Like right. how is this difficult? And there's no and anybody like I I I grow very tired of the arguments, the Old Testament arguments that people present in opposition of same-sex love and marriage, because they they are not only obsolete, but they are culturally irrelevant now. And I, what I detest more than anything is that people love to quote that the Bible is a living document. It is. The gospel is living and moving. We have to be willing to move with it. We have to mm-hmm. be willing to change, not change it. Nobody's asking to change the gospel. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we are not. We humans are not. We change. We grow. We evolve. Our cultures change and our cultures evolve. And what you know as same-sex love or relationships or homosexuality in the scriptures is not what it is today. And even what it was then may have been misrepresented. But people don't want to hear that because they, they don't want to have to change or move forward themselves. The word of God is clear. We're not, making, we're not making any changes to the word of God. We're making changes to your understanding of it, and that threatens a lot of people. And right. that, that, that's what I think the biggest issue that's facing gay and same-gender-loving Christians in this day and age is there's no guide out there for us. Do you know how long I was on Amazon looking for a Christian marriage guide for a gay couple? Like, I usually, I, it takes me 30 seconds to find what I need on Amazon any other time. Why was I on Amazon for an hour and a half looking for this, only to find one book that I had to pay extra money for because it had to be shipped from elsewhere because it wasn't necessarily on Amazon? Like, you're making us, you are pretending like we don't exist, and then when you dare to acknowledge we exist, you're making us jump through hoops. No wonder people leave the church. 
No wonder right. people walk away from God. You're making it easy for people to do so. And the way to call people back, I think later on down the line, I have this vision of, you know, just God giving me the ability to write a marriage guide for gay couples because there's so many marriage guides out there for straight Christian couples none out there like we need we need the infrastructure we need the foundation if you say you quote unquote care about queer christians then make a foundation for us to have godly relationships the theory of the theory of complementarity does not stop at gender in my opinion elena is the other elena and i are puzzle pieces we go together because we were made for one another i do strongly hold to that belief that god does have one person out there for everyone I, I, believe, I believe that, and I believe that wholeheartedly. I've seen it play out with so much success in a lot of relationships in my life, and it's playing out with success in mine as we speak. And so for someone to tell me that how I am is wrong or that our marriage is wrong is like you clearly don't know me or know the inner workings of human psychology or sexuality or anything like that. And it's just it's mind-boggling, the erasure the mm-hmm. lengths that main, the mainstream Protestant church will go to to erase queer people or to denigrate them. I could go, I could go on for hours, but I think you get the gist of what I'm trying to say. Oh, right. absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective on that. And um, I think you're highlighting um, a really important problem for our listening audience that, um, you know, not only when it comes to sexuality, but especially when it comes to sexuality, um, the church has been silent. The church has erased certain identities, and you're exactly right. I think in this day and age, it, it doesn't it doesn't work, <laughs> and we need to do better. Especially um, in the black church, I think we have a, I think right. we have a special issue with that in the black church. Yeah. So I'm glad that you are naming that, um, and I hope that people are listening and really plugging into this need to. Um, be the church, because that's what we're called to be. We're called to love people. And so when you say, um, you know, about when you're talking about the law of the Old Testament, you know, Jesus comes, of course, as a Jewish rabbi teaching all of those old laws, but also saying that the greatest law of all is love. And I think what you did simplify during um, our conversation today is that you're living up to that in your relationship with uh, yourself, but also you're trying to live up to that in every aspect of your life. And that's the most important thing, that we follow the law of love above all else. So thank you so much for being a great example of that, Sydney. Oh, it's, it's difficult sometimes, but it's worth it every time. So, Sydney, how does our audience connect with you online? You can find me on Instagram at The Black Swan Diaries. You can find me on Twitter at Black Swan Diary, singular. <laughs> and you can find me on my website at BlackSwanDiaries.com. Great. Awesome. So thank you so much for being with us, Sydney. We wish we could talk to you, like, all day. You have so much to say. I'm topics. You know, we're just scratching the surface with this topic. But y'all, Sydney is a mental health advocate. And she has an adorable dog. Um, she's a professional ballerina. So there's so much that all of us can learn from Sydney, and we're so grateful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Pearls, we are so grateful that we just had that awesome conversation with Sydney. But you know what time it is. It's time for the Petty Pearls. Woo! Okay. Um, yeah, I'm done being my own hype woman. <laughs> so, Jamie, I have got to share this. I know, I know. I keep talking and about how we moved, right? Because it's a hot topic, you know? Moving is so important. But let me be real clear, all right? So I've been waiting to do this petty pro, Jamie, right? 
because when I was moving with U-Haul, U-Haul is interesting. They will charge you right by the mile when you're driving the U-Haul. They'll also give you a charge if you return the truck um, to another U-Haul place that you didn't pick it up, right? So if you drop it off in another place. So the dude at the U-Haul place was trying to get me to, to lease the, the truck for 24 hours, which would have made I would have had to drive to Jersey and back round trip, and it would have come out to be a little over $200 because of the mileage, right? But he neglected to tell me that it was going to be cheaper for me to drop it off. He was like, oh, well, it's more expensive sometimes when you drop it off in another place when you do one-way trips because of the service fee. And I was like, okay. Some told me something ain't sitting right. So, Jamie, I went back into the store, right, back into the U-Haul store. And I went to the girl <laughs> at the counter, and I was like, girl, I need you to please help me, ma'am, do this calculation. Because something, I said, I don't feel right spending $200 for a U-Haul. And then she, you know, just to be going to Jersey for 24 hours. And she actually told me it was going to be cheaper to drop it off in Jersey, you know, just to leave the truck in Newark. So I was like, pause, 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 pause. So I say this to say, whenever we are trying to um, do price points and try to figure things out, there's more than one option, and it's okay to not settle on decisions before weighing out all of your options. And so I listened to the little voice inside of me. I call it the Holy Spirit. You know, you might call it, you know, I don't know, the sunken place. I don't know what you might call it. But I call it the Holy Spirit. Um, and so the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And I said, you know what, let me go back. It's okay to not just settle for what somebody gives you. I made the point to go back and weigh out all my options. So today I want to say weigh out your options. People will try you so they can get your money, your hard-earned working dollars, and try to play you. Don't let the haters play you or the people behind the counter play you because they're trying to just get their money. And I ain't mad. We all out here trying to make our money. But, you know, weigh out all your options. Be frugal. Be frugal in some, some things. And so, um, there, there are multiple options. And so just don't settle for what people try to sell you. But the other thing, Jamie, can I just share this one last thing? So it's, a, it's a double petty pearl. So I got two pearls because we're just two pearls. <laughs> um, so one thing I love about being in New Jersey now, Jamie, is that I don't have to put my gas. Who knew? Okay, so I didn't know it's illegal, right? So it's illegal to pump your gas in New Jersey. All these years I've been pumping gas in Connecticut. Why didn't I move to Jersey sooner? So shout out to New Jersey for not making me pump my own gas. Not that I have a problem pumping gas because I really don't. I've been pumping my gas since I was 16 years old, right? So right. I'm fine with it, but it, but I'm okay not getting out in the winter to pump gas so, or in the rain. So look at Jesus Christ of Nazareth looking out for me. Um, that's all I wanted to share, that um, – you know, pumping gas, pumping your own gas is real petty. Um, so that's all I want to say. Everybody move to New Jersey. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Just Two Pearls. And you can email us at adventures at just two pearls.com. And remember, cultivate the pearl within you.